Friday, January 14th, and you're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. It's episode 232. How's it going, Tyler? It's going good, man. I slept I say Tyler, hard last night. Dude, I don't know how to right. sleep anymore. Um, no? Well, uh, you still have a young baby. They, they I do, but they I mean pretty hardcore. They sleep fine like both of my kids by like two and a half months we're getting them mostly through the night they both they're both 7 30 to 7 30 kids these days oh nice i don't think i had kids waking up as late as 7 30 until they were like six you know i'm gonna say something about the whole sleep thing (laughs) you have to be incredibly intentional about this and you know what yeah i'm feeling pretty bullish because we have it's it's anecdotal, but we have a small sample size. So the, my wife and all of her friends, uh, as women do, they planned things out and they chose right. to all have kids within three months of each other, which happened. Smart. It was impressive. Wow, that is impressive. And uh, yeah, there's like there's like nine kids. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> within, within Kate's age, it's crazy. Like the birthday That's parties amazing. over the course of three months, and uh, from now and, until the end of time. By the way, oh yeah, for sure. And so. <laughs> And now many of us have two kids, a second child. Some people are on their third, you know, whatever. There's, there's, there's a lot of kids now. Well, every single child in this group outside of two parents or two groups of parents have, have chosen to use a schedule by a sleep coach that is identical. It's the exact same sleep coach, same schedule that we've all shared and we've all used outside of two of them, which is three kids in total. One has two, one has one. The three kids that did not use this still to this day struggle with going to sleep and what time they wake up. It's like, they're like, they're up until nine at least. And they're usually waking up at five 30 or six. Every single kid outside of that though, is from seven 30 or eight until 6 30 or 8 <laughs> like that's right. the range we're looking at like most people yeah. are around 7 38 to 7 to 7 30 I'd, I'd say 95 percent who have all followed this so it's like there's definitely an aspect of like every kid is a little different but if you aren't intentional about that's it teaching the kid to sleep <laughs> then yeah you're gonna have a rough you. time no, and, and so we learned that our anecdote is that we have three kids and that we did them all slightly different when it came to that stuff because we just kind of yellowed. And uh, the first one, I think we made a lot of mistakes when it came to uh, teaching her how to sleep really is the is the answer because you, you kind of sure. have to teach them what that schedule looks like. And, and once they figure it out, which two months is incredible – it's better for them and it's better for you. Like they're not, they're not missing out on something. And that was really, really hard uh, for my wife and I, especially my wife at the beginning with our first, but when the second came, the fact that we still had a baby made it a lot harder to be as flexible, which ultimately was why it was so hard to get uh, my, my oldest to sleep. Um, And as a result, we, we ended up almost teaching them both how to sleep. And then, of course, the third one comes along and, you know, he just fell right into the fold, basically, because we had a right. schedule. We stuck to it. We we did the same things. The routine at night was very useful. And then they slept through it because we learned how to help them learn how to. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was the gist. And, and, but, and I'll give this to, to, to the people who maybe aren't parents yet or maybe are going to have another one. 
one thing is there's two key aspects to this. One is, is the physical moment of training, like around the 1 a.m., 12 a.m. feeding, however you're doing your, your actual feeding schedule, um, that you're going to start to try and skip around five, six weeks, somewhere in that general range once they're above birth weight and all that stuff. You physically give them a pacifier three times. And if they take it and go back to sleep at that time, then you go back to sleep. If they don't take it, then you feed them. And then once they start skipping that feeding, you move to the next feeding and you do the same thing. So that's the like tactical, physical thing you do. Cool. The other side of this is that a sleep schedule, like training someone to sleep, is an all-day schedule. It's very yes, important it to know that it's not just a, oh, well, I put them down at this time every night and I give them a bath before. It's like, it's, it's the naps you give, it's the times you feed, it's the amount you feed, and it's the stages you go through while you do it. So that's the thing I don't think people realize. It's like what you do at 11 a.m. is going to affect the sleep that you do at, you know, 7 or 8 p.m. And it's not just like when they sleep because both of our kids will have taken a cat nap around 5.30 or 6, eaten at 7, and gone to bed at 7.30. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just the way you work through the entire day. So anyways, parenting advice of the day from uh, – the guy who was told how to do this by a person who does it professionally. So <laughs> it's go. like nothing that I and did on my own. it worked. <laughs> and it did work. Yeah. So I, I swear yeah. by it. And everyone I've given it to, the results have been, I would say, within sort of a 95th percentile of the same. Sure. I mean, it's, yeah, it's incredibly it was, consistent. You know, we didn't, we didn't work with a professional. And um, we, we also as young parents often do, uh, you know, you get lots of advice. That advice is often sage. And then you have a kid and so much of your responses are just, you know, like a knee jerk in some ways, even if it's planned, oh. even if you, you know, you're really uh, getting into even it. Like, 35 year old Russ is knee jerk with the three year old right oh, now. For so. Sure. Well, and that's the thing is that like so much of how you were raised starts to come through too. And that makes it really hard to be purposeful, but like I think back on my first kid and all the advice that I ignored from people who had kids earlier in our own generation, as well, of course, our parents' generation. And we weren't intentionally trying to like discount their experience or what they came from, but they would make a recommendation. That recommendation was, you know, kind of a little bit different than what you were saying, just based on their own anecdotal experience with their one, two, three kids, whatever it was. And and then your baby's there screaming her head off and the motherly instincts to fix that far, far overwhelms any plan that we had in the moment. <laughs> and, you know, looking, looking back and when by the time we had our third kid, right, well, he was also screaming his head off and needed that motherly instinct to kick in to help not scream for whatever the reason was. And I'm not saying ignore your kid, but it also wasn't possible to do 24-7 because right. we had two other kids. And yep. as a result, he learned faster how to be happier and sleep harder, longer at more appropriate times than, than our first two. So it's just stuff like that was really funny because you look back and I think about some of the conversations I had when when uh, Elizabeth was pregnant with our first kid. And uh, like people made recommendations that if we had really followed through, if we pulled that thread we would have had a much, much easier sleeping experience in particular with, with Julia uh, than we did. And and it's just, I don't know, it's it's really funny because I've seen it over and over again now that that I'm the guy that has three kids and has some advice on, you know, what to do, what not to do. But I know in the course of the conversation, like you're 
like 99% of the time you just you're going to do what you're going to do and you're not really you're not really going to follow the uh the advice of of other individuals it's just parenting is very interesting is all i'm saying yeah the the only thing the only advice i'll give and then we'll close it we'll move on is that i literally give them the advice about following the sleep schedule and i physically will give it to them and then i also say yeah, no matter great. what any doctor tells you don't be afraid to use formula like just Oh, there's gosh, elements yeah. of no, and it will help you just don't be afraid of it if it's necessary so those if are the only these, yeah, i don't sure. give any other form of advice yeah. because it's you know I, i've been that person that's like everyone made a big deal out of something that hasn't happened yet and it only makes things worse but anyways <laughs> um so this day is yesterday into tech history um we have a couple of them um one of them is is somewhat and actually i'd say it's two of them are kind of interesting first one uh, Bill Gates, I'll, I'll make an assumption you know who he is, uh, steps aside on this day oh, in what geez. year? So Microsoft chairman Bill Gates steps aside as the chief executive officer and promotes company president Steve Ballmer, yeah, <laughs> which Ballmer. You know, maybe Gosh. maybe wasn't a mistake. Uh, just uh, was just mistake. saying. Uh, uh, what, what year was this? Gosh, was that like... I don't know. I don't know my timeline. I'm going to go like 06. You know, it's funny you say that. I would have also said 06. I don't know why. I just thought to myself, it later? this was later. It's earlier. It's 2000. It's earlier. Re- yeah, wow. it's way wow. earlier. Two, How January long is driving 2000. that into the ground? <laughs> uh, it, we, it's funny you say that because it makes me think to myself just how incredible a job. Uh, who's the new, the current CEO? Satya. Uh, Sat- yeah, Sat- Satya Nadella. Sat- Satya. He's just Satya. done an incredible yeah. job with what oh he gosh, ended yes, he up has. picking up. Jeez. So, uh, you know, more more power to the guy. I mean, Gates did wow. stick around as the chief software sure. architect until it says June of 2008. Um, but uh, he was not he was not running the company, although he still is obviously on board. That's actually uh, that's a really interesting point, though, too. Wait, wait, wait let's, let's dive sure. into that a little bit more. Um, he, you know, there's lots of... What's the, there's a term for it. It's like the if founders conundrum or, or founders um, something. Anyways, like because you had the idea and you were able to, you know, sort of cradle this idea and grow it from just nothing to, I mean, huge like Microsoft in this example, right? Doesn't sure. mean that you're the right person to take it through next major <clears throat> major hurdles or or oh sure you know run yeah. a global multi billion dollar corporation as an example right um, right I feel like uh, Gates's timing I I don't I don't feel like he gets ragged on as much for like letting go too late maybe I'm wrong maybe I just missed it uh, or wasn't watching closely. But I'm curious if he would was or would have been a very good like mega corporation CEO chief you know any chief capacity sort of sort of right. uh, office or or if he was just a really smart guy that timed it right did all the right things to get it grown up and then did hold on too long but managed to avoid a lot of the scrutiny because it was just sort of still on the upswing. I don't know. I, I just feel like, I feel like he never got as much um, flack for still being in control of Microsoft. And it makes me wonder if he was a particularly talented CEO uh, or, or if it was just luck. And you know, that's, it, it's that's a good, strong. it's a good it's question. Binary. Right. It, it, it is a good question because we do see 
especially in our industry. I mean, I work with a lot of these companies that sort of emerge um, over time. You know, they, they have their founder led. And uh, by the way, mm-hmm. if anyone is interested in this type of stuff, Founders Mentality, phenomenal book. I recommend it. Yeah, to there anyone. you go. Um, but there is a, uh, there's definitely a point in the maturity curve of a company where you stop being the startup and you have to make this crossroads decision of, do we need to bring in an adult in order to basically mature the company to its adulthood? And that's really kind of what you're, what you're sort of describing here because, and I've seen it time and time again. And I've, I've interacted with these CEOs that come in because you know, we're obviously big partners with them. And, and you can tell their, their first order of business is quite literally just to go in and like take the things that are very startup-y in nature that everyone probably loves and yeah, unfortunately right. you know, have to make the tough decision Yeah, to, to sort of, hey, I understand why this is awesome. But here are the limitations yeah, and we have to make this move sort of thing, right? So yeah. you never come in and I don't think you're the favorite. Like I've, I've noticed that people no. sort of accept that these things have to happen, but sure. no one loves it. And it's like, well, it's not the same company that, that I was at, you know, seven years ago or whatever. And I'm sure. like, yeah, but the company it's you're at seven years ago was a $300 million company. <laughs> exactly. And this one is a $3 billion company. So it's yeah. just, uh, that's, that's kind of where it gets, it gets interesting. Yeah. That, I hundred company agree. from seven years ago, that company from seven years ago died. Uh, only yeah. you still have a job. <laughs> and it would have died anyways. A hundred percent, especially in the technology space, man. I mean, you just mm-hmm. things adapt so so rapidly. You have to figure out where sure. you're, you know, if your market's even in the same place. I mean, it's just it's tough. It's yeah. uh, well, it's, and, we, and I wonder know, too, we have to evaluate decisions all the time ourselves. You know, like I bet I bet Balmer gets a a pretty healthy ragging. Um, well, I know he does, uh, and and obviously he was at the helm for how long like a decade it, it longer I mean, than i thought a good amount of time so yeah. so he had lots and lots of times to fix it but what i was going to say too is like like you said the the one that comes in right behind the founder is often vilified because they have to undo these things that are sort of like culturally anchored to what that startup became you know as it grew into a very 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 large corporation um it but a lot of times they're they're temporary almost for that reason like they come in they do the wrecking to fix the stuff, but they get so much egg on them in the process of undoing these things that people felt were so critical to what made that company that company that they almost have to leave and find the the you know the the, the C seat right the the C team to really carry it forward. And I wonder I wonder if Balmer gets a lot of crap, but he it maybe just took a decade to undo the things that were wrong with Microsoft, and then he had to get out because culturally they were in a weird place. I, I mean, here, I here's the thing. Here's the way it, I see honest. it. I mean, he look. He was a CEO from 2000 to 2014. Wow. You That's you a long don't. Time. Yeah, you don't drive the bus for that long. No, you. Do if not. you're not doing something right, the board will get That's, rid of you. This is true so, too. This is very true. Yeah. So he, he did something right. I think that there was just, he definitely made some public comments that were problematic. Yeah. He, he, he focused the company maybe in some of the wrong areas, definitely later in his tenure um, than, than yeah. it needed to be. And, you know, he, he just, it, he's often uses the butt of a joke. He like made this famous comment sure. about how uh, Linux was cancer. And then Satya Nadella comes in and is like, we love Linux and um, it's the most deployed thing in Azure. And we're going to in, you know, in, <laughs> install sub Linux inside of windows. And, and now they're doing even better. So it's just a it's just a funny thing 
how he how he works through that. But let's let's move on to some news because uh, we're we're getting kind of tight on time already as it is. It's it's funny how quickly um, thirty minutes goes, especially when you start like ten minutes late. Um, let's see here. Do you have anything specifically you want to um, pull uh, up? Oh, I, have, I mean, I, I think since we were just talking about founders, there's a good segue there. Um, I the that conversation we just had about uh, you know Balmer, Microsoft, and and founders in general. Um, mm-hmm. Remember. We talked about it, but Jack Dorsey's note not too long back. Uh, I feel oh, yeah. like he really highlighted that. He was just like, "I'm no longer right for for Twitter," um, which again, it's it's very telling that he kind of recognized that it was neat that he put it out there. But um, I the one I saw a note, and I haven't seen too much detail about it yet. But uh, he made an announcement that Block, of course, formerly known as Square, is mm-hmm. um, making a play to decentralized Bitcoin mining effectively is, is I think how it's quoted. Um, he, he wants that seems to make counterintuitive. Bitcoin, it does a little bit, but it also makes sense, right? Cause Bitcoin mining at this point is a, a big boy operation. If you really want to mine Bitcoin in a big way, you're, you're probably stealing power directly from taps tied to your local power plant. And you're, sure. you're running, you know, multi-million dollars in ASICs in a data center, right? Um, his, his statement sort of says um, he wants to open source and make it really, really simple for the average person, I guess, to just plug something into the wall and contribute to the the network and its resiliency, because that's the point. Decentralization of proof-of-work cryptocurrencies, the, the purpose of the difficult calculations and the purpose of the distribution of that calculation, and I know you know this, I'm just saying it for everybody that's listening, yeah, is course. to make the entire network more secure. The consensus is how people can't spend the same money in a digital currency over and over again. The consensus is how how we know we can trust the ledger. And so um, making it more decentralized is a good thing. Making approachable by average people is a good thing. I'm just curious um, whether or not it's needed now. And and I guess I, that's a, a goofy I thing guess to I, say. But... So this is what I struggle with. You and I, we talked about, well, we didn't directly talk about this. I think we commented on Twitter about this, but mm. in what way did anyone involved with distributed ledger technology stuff think that anything that can be bought with currency right. wasn't going to be dominated by people who have the most of, of it? Money. Yeah. You know, and, and even even this this situation here, where it's a device yeah. that can be plugged into a wall very easily. Cool. Who buys the Dude, device? People that can afford it. People that have I a mean, wall outlet that that they're willing to allow some device yeah. that basically serves no independent purpose for themselves to to charge them for electricity. Like, no, I, I'm right there with you. And and I think yeah, we were we were going back and forth on Twitter about this, but I completely agree. Like the problem with the way. It seems like I'm going to say the general public, but I'm not sure that I have a bead enough on how the world is really looking at this. But Bitcoin in particular, because it's the one everyone knows, it's very, very big. An individual coin is worth quite a bit now. Right. But really, any any proof of work cryptocurrency uh, and and really any cryptocurrency in such a highly speculative time period for something like this, it it's not for the average person 
And that doesn't mean you can't throw some YOLO money at it, but it's highly speculative, which means it's going to see massive volatility. It's extremely risky because if the floor does fall out from underneath it, uh, with their, I shared an article in the TPP chat. Um, there's a there's a poster on Reddit. I love reading their posts. Uh, they they only release them. I, I forget how often. Definitely annually. It could be once a month. But what they've done for the last four years is actually um, not only purchase $100 of each of the top 10 cryptocurrencies at that time, given coin market cap or Gecko, uh, sure. which, whichever one they're using. Um, but then they track that performance every single month and and for every single coin. And one of the things that stood out to me is that in because every I feel like and I and I do this sometimes too. It's always fun to think back. It's like if I had only known that I could have bought you know Bitcoin in 2011, you know, and if I put a thousand dollars into it, it'd be worth this. Like it, it's fun to think through that. It's kind of like thinking what you do sure. if you won the lottery. But 40 percent of the top 10 cryptocurrencies in 20 what was that 2018 i think 40% aren't in the top 10 anymore the yeah. average return for all 10 of those currencies was 34% now what is interesting is that if you take 18 19 20 21 and you look at the average return across all four years it's something like 2 or 2 or 400% i think it depends on which years or which aggregate he's looking at um, and, and obviously highly speculative spaces have extreme upsides so that's that they carry a lot of risk but all of this to say when when bitcoin's price fluctuates massively from 40,000 to $60,000 a coin you know who's not driving that price up or down you and your uh, friends in high school well, you know, <laughs> because you don't have school, enough money you know. to move that market. They, they, they oh, are Daniel Platt. Where are you? <laughs> right. Yeah, right? I know you. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, I know you get it. It's just, it, it is that market is not some special, completely decentralized. Uh, I, I mean, th there's a word that I am not coming to here either, but it, it's not. It, it is not an even playing field because it, the initial investment is so important. Sure. And, and so, and so let's talk about, so, and I've, I've spoken at financial conferences on this technology before. And the question always comes up around, you know, people who are driving a lot of this, the Elon Musk's of the world, the right. Coinbase's of the world, whatever else. And here's here's is. the point that I that I try and articulate for like purpose. So, and there's other there's other markets that you could have done this with before. Stock market would even qualify as one, but it's just sure. it's not as globally accessible in the same way. And so if you think also about highly more regulated. It, dramatically more Re regulated. If Re Re just regulation prevents manipulation. And, and I'm not saying everything they're doing is manipulation, so, but <laughs> I agree. I just I, I want to a corner. I want to I want to. So I and I understand your financial mind. Trust me. I but I want to move away from the issues of cryptocurrencies as they stand today. I don't even like the word currencies for them. Um, <laughs> I I I, I want to pretend like speculation doesn't have an impact. I just I want to talk about access to some form yeah. of financial capital yeah. and for for the decentralized i'll call it a movement even though it's not a term that i 
you know, really use ever for anything, candidly. Um, but when we talk about the 3 billion people on the planet who who go unbanked, that's an actual term, by the way. Yeah, unbanked no, 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 is, describes an individual. Particularly they, uh, bad in, in highly populated, generally poor countries. Uh, for India sure, 100 percent regularly comes up in the unbanked conversations. Yeah, India, Indonesia, parts of Africa, China, yep, absolutely, 100 percent. Whenever you have a financial system that is centralized, that is on the basis of risk and opportunity, those people don't matter. And they because they don't present opportunity in a way that can overcome their financial risk. So when you take out the, the centralization of the actual approval process for access to a thing, whether that means putting money into something or trying to drive up some valuation of some stuff that you could maybe try and throw at a thing, whatever it is, if you change the centralization aspect of it to where Bank of America no longer has to approve you to just have a bank account and you want to take whatever cash it is you have or whatever asset it is, and you happen to have a phone that has access to an app that you can put it into something like Coinbase, maybe it grows, maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't matter, maybe it's just a safer place to put it, then, sure. then that in and of itself is a massive opportunity. But the developed world doesn't look at it like that. The pe developed world looks at, it, looks at it as like, well, you're trying to replace the USD. No, I'm not. You're trying to replace the stock market. Right. No, I'm not. Like no, I'm not. The, it's these are these are the, the the ways the perspective on it is so it's almost like the perspective centralizes crypto because yeah, it's such funny. a narrow perspective on on what yeah. it does. And, and that's my my main problem with it is people are too narrow minded when they think about it. And it's fine. Like most people are going to think of it as it relates to them. For you and I, you know, crypto is a casino. So it's like, we're going to Vegas <laughs> any day of the week. And that's, that's right. a privilege that 24 we have. 7 too. That's great. It's 24 just like, seven it's just like casino. Vegas. It's great. It's, it is just like Vegas. It's like Vegas. If we could VPN into it and start pulling the yeah. levers, you know, and the rules but change. That's sometime, what I think. Also it. fun. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. got two sixes. That's good, right? No, not today. That's no, bad. No, no. Dang it! Today, today it's no good. Uh, but that's that's Why my, are four that's dice my on the craps table. Yeah, you have no, to think I, of it think, one away from the currency perspective, and you have to think yeah. of it sort of the art of the possible, as opposed yeah. to just like good or bad, which is what I yeah. see so many people trying I to make too. crypto black and white, which is insane right. to me. Yes, it I is. Know there are too that. many projects. There are too many use cases. Uh, in uh, well, I'm going to be really careful with that word use case, right? I I today still look at most of the cryptocurrency market, and I and I wonder, is this the most elegant way to solve that problem? You know, whatever that problem is. In-game, you know, currencies is an example. There are lots of crypto that are sort of addressed or looking to address that. But but I think that there might be a more elegant way to solve it slash there may have already solved that problem in a way that's more elegant for a company or for their users as opposed to something that's more general and distributed i'm not going to go down that rabbit hole anymore but my my point is it, something i come back to a lot which is i don't know if the ones that we're are so familiar with are are going to be the answers to the unbanked in a meaningful way because i i do think what we were started this conversation on which is bitcoin in particular i think ethereum definitely falls into this bank um and and i actually i read an article and i do not have the link but i'm gonna tie it into this too um i don't think that those 
currencies, if you're going to call them currencies, those crypto coins, that blockchain, um, I don't think they're going to give the unbanked what they need. Now, it's it's easier than getting a checking account with your local bank. No question there. And, and that alone has value, period. But the problem with these big proof-of-work uh, cryptocurrencies is that the unbanked can't afford to participate in a meaningful way, nor can they afford the volatility on the downside, nor can they afford the fees that come with how these layer one uh, blockchains scale. And so if the goal isn't to displace, you know, the US dollar as the, the global reserve, which I, I don't I don't know if that would ever happen, but even even if it didn't, like if that was a target, I I don't know that it solves maybe one of the more important problems, which is what you brought up. This giving everyone access to something that is inexpensive, rapid, global, that that solves a actually a really interesting global problem. Whereas just having something digital that 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 guarantees third party trust and and is distributed and so non-centralized when i say it that way is i do we need it and do we need it to look like bitcoin right and so i always come back to that here's an interesting one i i saw an article that basically it highlighted that cryptocurrencies right now bitcoin in particular ethereum i think falls into this bucket too because they're big enough they've sort of weathered some major you know ups and downs as well um there there is actually an international arms race like element to that ecosystem now and and when you look at countries like el salvador um which have made bitcoin legal tender right sure there there's actually a hedging that can and should happen on an international nation-state scale where not investing in Bitcoin could actually have significant financial downsides for a lot of sovereign nations. So they almost have to invest in Bitcoin just in case it succeeds, which, of course, is a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point, which I found very, very interesting. Well, so I agree. I agree on, on the premise you started with around um, the participation part of some of these unbanked individuals. But I want to move away from participating in the market. I want to th- like so one of so when we talk about these unbanked societies, which by the way, I just looked it up. Twenty two percent of the U.S. is unbanked. Wow, really? Twenty two percent. So it's not just you know. I mean, it's obviously no, predominantly gosh. other areas. I had, but I had no idea that it was that high. I mean, that's that's high. It, it is very high. And if you think about unbanked, you, another term for a group of people who are unbanked is it is effectively a cash based yeah. society or group or community or whatever you want to call it. Sure. Plenty of disadvantages there. So let's talk about simple ones that we can we can work on here. Transferring or saving money is problematic in a cash-based society. It's more risky to transfer and save money without a bank account. Um, How do you build credit? How do you build credit without some form of an account that tracks what you do? 
Well, in the you United don't. States, that's absolutely catastrophic because so much of our society functions on credit. That's uh, not true. I agree. Everywhere that twenty-two percent of the yeah, the twenty-two percent of the country that is unbanked has a serious societal problem ahead of them because of this. Well, there's no escape. You you can't there become is no unbanked. Escape. You can't become unbanked if you don't have a credit history in the United States, and if you're unbanked, you don't get one. Uh, agreed. And so there's you know I'm sure you're familiar with microloans. Um, mm-hmm. There are microloans that are very popular in, in different areas around yeah. the world. Um, and, and in particular, they, they help create businesses and opportunities for people. And, and just having something able to move and move money around and show financial history, even if it's done in a crypto account, it's not I mean, you're paying bills with people or services or whatever it might be. Just showing that you have financial history could be enough to be the basis of approval for something like a, a, a microloan. And so these are the types of opportunities I'm talking about when I think of unbanked individuals, whenever they can get access to something that has no real financial liability for the, for the service. If I think of Coinbase, if they operated in Africa, you know, it's like they, they don't have any liability for anything. They're not loaning money to people. It's just like, you have access to this thing and here you go. And you know, if you move stuff around, yeah, exactly. It's an on-ramp. The liability then comes to the individuals, obviously, providing the microloans, but at least they have data to go off of, which sure, in a cash-based society, there'd be no way for them to really verify any of that. And so that's these are the opportunities it, it, that I'm kind of that I'm thinking have... about. Oh, do we lose it? Sort of ecosystem, right? Uh-oh. Oh, okay. start that over. You said microloans something or no, 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 I said mic- microloans in, in situations like that where you don't have any credit history, you have no idea how to determine whether or not if someone is worthy of getting your money and and obviously the easiest thing to think through is like are they is this fraudulent is the goal here just to collect $10,000 and run away right you, you don't really know that's actually part of the reason that microloan returns are higher yep higher global financial system works by the way um but uh it, a credit history helps determine whether or not someone is worthy of getting that it also helps protect against it um and and what i started to say with crypt uh or sorry microloans versus like a kickstarter right they become marketing and advertisement more than than viable products a a flashy video and some pretty prototype is more likely to get funded than a good idea with an engineer that knows how to build it right and so there have been a lot of Kickstarters, as an example, that have gotten up off the ground because they marketed it beautifully. And they basically didn't have the ability to execute on that roadmap at all. It wasn't even technically feasible in some cases. And sure. the same, same thing happens in that space. So what you're getting at, like, I, that's a brilliant use case for, for an accessible um, ledger, right, for, for a crypto asset, currency, whatever, uh, for, for the rest of the world. But I'm going to come back to those problems are real. That's a very, very interesting issue that I do think something like cryptocurrency solves. Bitcoin and Ethereum, again, as examples, as being the front runners in a lot of these conversations, aren't very good at solving those problems. No, they're not. This is a purpose. That's what's so, so frustrating we're, to me. We're talking, <laughs> we're talking more to the technology behind Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Art of the yep. possible. This is this is if someone, let's just say the government in Africa wants to try and improve this situation, which is a very self-serving thing that they should do. They right. should work on creating some form Rising of blockchain tide, to be able to do this. A hundred percent. So it's like the, <laughs> the, the the application. You know, Bitcoin. 
and I understand how much Bitcoin is appropriated as like crypto. I, I get it. Sure. I understand. And and I also recognize how few people even understand Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, like this is a distributed blockchain ledger stuff, which I hate accounting, even though I, I have a degree in it. And it's yeah. and it's like the the remarkable side of this to me is that people don't don't think about what can be done. They 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 just look at what's currently being done. And, and most of the things that they're looking at, like Bitcoin, were largely created without explicit purpose. Right. Explicit purpose, though, is possible and can be delivered in this area. And this technology can help deliver on that. And that's the opportunity that I really think is in front of us, whether that's yeah. for financial reasons or, or other technical delivery media, like, like what we sure. want to do with like decentralized social media and stuff like that. Like sure. there's, there's all sorts of opportunity there. It just needs explicit purpose. Right now, it's yeah. just a, this speculative casino that some people can make a lot of <laughs> money in and a lot of people can lose a lot of money in. But it's... Right. You know, but it, it can be so much more. I, I just want people to look past what yeah. they view it as today, in particular because I feel like most people view it today in a way that probably isn't accurate already. They just kind of yeah. read the article they see on you know whatever it is, and and, and and develop that opinion on it. But there's more to it than what we see. There's more to most things in life, but in crypto in particular, almost everything isn't what it seems. Even even the right. environmental impact side of this isn't what oh people gosh, yeah. probably think it is. So it's just there's just struggles with with all that around. But man, we got to we got to shut this down. I am I'm crazy late for where I need oh, to be. My um, bad. I didn't know yeah. you had to run. Um yeah, no, there's more interesting stuff, but we got a short show today. So thanks. That brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for subscribing. And we'll see you next week. Have a great weekend. Bye, everybody. Later.